Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. from ESPN Blacksburg, joined alongside the usual suspects. First, in the 757, we got the one, the only, Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, man? Coach K is a whiner. That's all oh, I got. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm sorry. Like, that was that was ridiculous. Like, him him and Bayheim have got to be the two biggest whiners in college athletics. Yep. I can't talk bad about Coach K. My dad will. Uh, I can for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> On the other side of the Commonwealth, the northern sector, one would say, we have Mike McDaniel. Mike, what's good, dude? I have so much more respect for Roy Williams, which sounds like such a backward statement ooh, considering ooh. all the academic fraud and stuff like that. But Roy <laughs> Williams didn't make any excuses for North Carolina when they were total trash last year. So <laughs> give him a little bit of credit there. He's like, hey, we're not very good. It is what it is. Mike all of a sudden gets a couple bourbons in him. He's like, oh, I respect Roy Williams. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, all to- what else, what else are we going to get from Mike tonight? That he hates puppies or some crap like that? Jesus. Well, there's also. only one way. To find out. But first, <laughs> I got to tell the folks at home, the Hokie Angry Podcast is brought to you by the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the kind of pharmacy that you want to go to if you want to ensure that your pharmacist really, really, really hates UVA. So if you want a pharmacist that truly cares about you and the pain of the football fans in charlottesville look no further than main street pharmacy dr jeremy counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need well gentlemen it is hate week now we thought hate week was going to come in week two of this regular season but as per tradition it was moved back, not because of the tradition, but because of COVID. And ultimately, here we are, the final game of the regular season, and ultimately, what will probably be the final game of the season for Virginia Tech. Let's rewind five years. Following a four and eight season, the UVA Cavaliers fired Mike London and hired a man named Bronco Mendenhall. About a week and a half later, with the retirement of legendary Virginia Tech head coach Frank Beamer, Virginia Tech hired Justin Fuente. Their two coaching tenures have really gone in opposite trajectories. Fuente, in his first year, ACC championship appearance, a little bit of a step down in year two, a major step down in real year three, an up and down performance that kind of levels off in year four. Here we are in year five. 
Virginia Tech, four and six on the year. Fuente very much on the hot seat. On the other side, Bronco Mendenhall, year one, two and ten, then six and seven, eight and five, nine and five with a trip to the ACC championship game. And here we are, his UVA team now sitting at five and four after an awful start to the season where they were one and four. And Mendenhall's job seems incredibly secure for two guys coaching in the same state at arch rivals. These tenures could not have gone much differently. So I want to ask you this first, Ricky, what did Bronco Mendenhall do correctly that Justin Fuente simply couldn't execute here at Virginia tech? He signed Bryce Perkins. Like that's it. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and, and praise Bronco Mendenhall for doing a terrific job because without Bryce Perkins, his teams have been mostly average, if not below average. So I'm not a huge Bronco Mendenhall fan. I, I think he's he, he definitely fits UVA culturally. And if you want to give him any credit for developing – a, a more football-centric mindset at UVA, which was certainly lacking under Mike London. That's fine. I'll give you that. But Bronco Mendenhall is not anything special. And if you if you make me pick in a vacuum which coach you want me to take to lead my football program, I think I'm still going to lead go, rock with Justin Fuente over Bron- Bronco Mendenhall. And I know that that's probably going to fry some people out, but I don't really care. Um I don't think Bronco's been particularly impressive at, at Virginia. That's I one mean, take. I mean, they were they had losing seasons for four consecutive years prior to him arriving. He has one bad year, and it's been an upward trajectory ever since. I mean, UVA is not a football school, and he's made them competitive. Yes, I, but I, all of a sudden he loses his do-it-all quarterback, and they're a 500 football team. Well, I mean, they would have taken a 500 football team when they hired Mendenhall. Okay, so okay, so that's a different discussion. The standards in Charlottesville are much, much, much lower than the standards are in Blacksburg. Well, as are the resources and like the national. I mean, and recruiting clout. I understand. I understand. I understand that, but my point is, is that Virginia fans are fine with going 500 and winning seven games a year. If Justin Fuente were to go 500, win seven games a year, you get what's going on now, and they're calling for his head. So if you put Bronco Mendenhall at Virginia Tech and he does the same record, he's going to be lambasted by the national media and the fan base. And you put Justin Fuente at Virginia and he does what Bronco Mendenhall is doing, then what, he's all of a sudden this, this visionary coach that revived the Cavs out of the football abyss? I'm not buying it. Mike, what are your thoughts here? I will say that when Bronco Mendenhall was hired at Virginia away from BYU, I thought it was a really weird fit. I remember when um, it, when he was first hired at Virginia, he was living in an RV for like the first like month or so of his tenure um, because his family had still yet to move from uh, Provo to Charlottesville. And it was obviously a cross country move and that sort of thing. But I remember reading about that and I was like, wow, that's pretty wild, number one. But number two, like, I didn't think that was going to be a fit. Now, there were a couple of reasons for that. Number one, BYU recruits a certain type of athlete, right? It's very difficult to recruit at a high level there because of the standards of the school. And 
at BYU, you obviously have to be Mormon. And there's various other elements to this where, you know, you can't necessarily just like recruit a five-star guy to go there because, you know, there aren't a lot of five-star Mormons. Most Mormons are are like... Stop hating on Mormons, bro. I mean, let's call it what it is. Most Mormons are like three-star white guys, right? I mean, that's not even, that's not even like a slight, like that's honestly the type of athlete that BYU has to recruit for the football program there. So it's a very different type of program. So BYU, very different from the recruiting base in Charlottesville. And so the, the handful of questions that I had were number one, like what's Bronco Mendenhall going to do recruiting across the country in a place he's never been before in the state of Virginia, where all of a sudden he can recruit somebody who's not a Mormon, number one, right? <laughs> number two, like he's never even been in this area of the country. So how is he going to try to compete and win a state in recruiting where he's never even been in this region before? Like those were two very real questions at the beginning of the tenure. Uh, a couple things. Number one, he's adjusted really well from a recruiting standpoint. He's recruited Virginia quite well, um, better than Virginia Tech has with Justin Fuente at the helm, quite honestly. Um, and he's come in and his coaching has proven to translate. This isn't just a situation where he could only coach, you know, one certain group of individuals. He's come to UVA and he's proven that the type of football that he coaches translates. Now it was really ugly in year one at Virginia because you didn't have the offensive lineman, right? He, he recruits big, you know, big offensive linemen to play in his scheme. UVA didn't have that under Mike London. It was a very different type of athlete up front offensively and defensively. Right. So he was able to come in and kind of remedy that year one was ugly. And since then it's gotten a lot better in the trenches on both sides of the football. So you credit him for that, obviously. Um, But he's proven to just be a really good X's and O's football coach. Now I will say the defense has been good. The offense has flaws. The offense is very over-reliant on the quarterback to Ricky's point. Right. So getting a guy like Bryce Perkins is really pivotal and UVA fans coming into this year without Bryce Perkins for the first time in a few years, the the question was whether or not Brandon Armstrong could be the same type of quarterback. And I've talked about this on the podcast here a couple different times when we've talked about our ACC picks, Brandon Armstrong holds the same level of importance to UVA's offense that Bryce Perkins did. I'm not saying he's the, he's the same player because he's not at this point, he's a little bit younger. He's early in his career. He's not the same type of player that Bryce Perkins is but he is the similar type of player in terms of importance to the offense and what UVA's offense looks like when he's out is vastly different from when he's in the game, right? UVA earlier this year, they lost Bryce Perkins to injury, or I'm sorry, Brian Armstrong to injury. He was out of the lineup. Um, The offense looked quite different when Lindell Stone or Keaton Thompson were taking snaps. Like this was not the same offense. It wasn't as efficient. It wasn't as productive, but when Brian Armstrong comes back in, he adds an element both running and throwing that UVA is missing when he's out of the lineup. So it's very over-reliant on him to produce. The one thing that was encouraging earlier this season for UVA that I gave Bronco Mendenhall a bunch of credit for is that I thought the running game outside of the quarterback position was better than it had been in years past. It still has been better this year than it even was in the two years where Bryce Perkins was the quarterback. But with that being said, Brennan Armstrong commands such a large portion of um, of the share of the offense. 
Um, he's a guy who runs the ball a ton. He's the leading rusher by number of carries in a number of games they've played this year. And he's a guy who isn't as efficient passing the football yet as he probably would like to be, but he's been good enough and he's provided the balance to UVA's offense that they've needed this year. Even as they've lost some star power on the defense from last year, they returned a bunch of starters, but the defense even so has not been as good as it was a year ago. But Brennan Armstrong has remedied that. So while UVA has taken a bit of a step back from a record standpoint, they've still overall been pretty productive as a team. And Brennan Armstrong is a huge reason why. Okay, so we're all over the place now, but I'll just throw in, you know, Ricky, you you say don't coronate, you know, uh, Bronco Mendenhall as some kind of visionary coach, and I understand that, and that's not what I'm trying to do. But when I compare him to Justin Fuente, at the end of the day, in years three, four, and five of their tenures, UVA will finish the season with a better record than Virginia Tech. Yeah, they will. Like, and and that's that's a reality. So clearly, and you, the standard is different. And yes, if I mean they've been to the same amount of ACC championship games, one more recently, one started at a lower point, and it, it's just easier for me to give credit to a guy that took a program out of the dumps and made it somewhat respectable than it is to see a guy who took a program where I mean Virginia Tech was middling in the final years of Frank Beamer too, but he he didn't elevate it in any way. He elevated it for like a year back to somewhat near the standard that Virginia Tech expected when they brought in a new coach when Beamer was, in all reality, probably somewhat pushed out to get a younger, more offensive-minded coach, and that simply hasn't happened. So that's why I'm not saying, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that Bronco Mendenhall is the greatest coach of all time, but I don't think there's anyone saying that Bronco Mendenhall is anywhere near the hot seat in Charlottesville. No, he's very comfortable, and Justin Fuente could be coaching his final game as the head coach of Virginia tech. And that's why I make the comparison. But Mike, you talk about Brennan Armstrong, right? And I have a twofold question for you here. One, Brennan Armstrong, he goes out with the concussion. Lindell stone comes in since then. He has been a far more productive quarterback for UVA and they've started winning football games. How is it simply more time running in the offense? Have they made adjustments offensively to fit him? One and two, this is for both of you. I asked Mike on the radio show before the season even started where Brandon Armstrong ranked in his quarterback hierarchy, and he didn't have him very high. I'll ask you this today. If you had to pick, who would you rather take? Brandon Armstrong or Hendon Hooker? So I, I think Brennan Armstrong has become more comfortable in the offense as the season has moved along. Um, so that I think the, the offense has been tailored to him a bit, number one. But number two, I think he's just been more comfortable in the system. He's taken more live reps. Um, I think all of that plays in. And, and he's just a guy who sat behind Bryce Perkins, and he understands what the offense is looking for. And he gets what UVA is trying to do offensively and as he takes more live reps and he sees more film and you know he perfects his craft he continues to get more comfortable and Andrew I think you asked this at the beginning of the year and I said Hendon Hooker you asked me on the radio show today and I said Brian Armstrong as far as who I'd rather have right now Brian Armstrong's had a better year he's been better running he's been better throwing he's more comfortable in the offense that he plays in Hendon Hooker has struggled uh throwing the football from the pocket this year um he really, I mean, offensively running the football, he's had flashes where he's been pretty good, 
Brian Armstrong overall has meant more to his offense um, than Hendon Hooker has. And he's been the better quarterback statistically this year, both running and throwing. He's just been better. He's been more consistent. Um, Hendon Hooker has had his flashes throwing the football. Uh, but I think right now, if you're talking about this individual season, I think you'd rather have Brian Armstrong. Ricky, what are your thoughts? I'm not sure that you can make the, the case that Armstrong is – clearly a better runner than hooker i mean at one point in the season hooker was the number one rated quarterback and running efficiency according to pff um hookers put up pretty large numbers on the ground he was a catalyst for the run game for most of the season when virginia tech was running the football well even when they were losing games hendon hookers definitely regressed as a passer this season and that's been a problem um, but if, if we're going off of a full body of work, I'll still take Hendon Hooker over Brennan Armstrong. Now, that being said, Hendon Hooker in Virginia's offense would not make that offense run as efficiently as Brennan Armstrong does because these guys are two different types of quarterbacks. Uh, Brennan Armstrong has a lot more ability to create with his legs. He has a lot more ability to play kind of that backyard playground football that we see from some, you know, terrific quarterbacks like a Patrick Mahomes or Russell Wilson or guys like that, not comparing him to either of them in terms of talent, but in terms of uh, types of abilities and play style, Brennan Armstrong has more ability to do that than Hendon Hooker does. But if we're talking about a structured offense like Tech, which relies heavily on the ground game and when it's operating at its most efficient play action passing, I think Hendon Hooker has proven that he can be extremely efficient at that. Um, and this goes back to a conversation that we've had on this podcast multiple times. They ran Hendon Hooker way too much and they ran him into the ground. And he, I think he's been banged up for the last couple of weeks. Um, we'll, we'll never get confirmation on that because Justin Fuente doesn't talk about injuries, but I think we've seen that Hendon Hooker has had, some real regression over the last couple of weeks. And part of that is because he was running the ball 20 to 25 times a game. It's not, maybe not 25, but 15 to 20 times a game far too often. Um, so if you're going to, if you're going to force me to pick between Armstrong and hooker, I'll still go with hooker. I don't think the gap is all that wide. I think they're relatively similar, but um, for Virginia tech's offense, I'll take Hendon hooker. It's a hard comparison to make. And for Virginia Tech's offense, I would take Hendon Hooker. That being said, where Armstrong is today as a redshirt sophomore, and he's not a guy that you're going to expect to go pro, he's developing from what we've seen this season. And assuming he has an entire offseason and that the COVID weirdness somewhat goes away, you have a full fall camp, you have spring practice, he could be dangerous. He's not going to be over-the-top dangerous in the in the way that – Bryce Perkins was where he can completely steal the show, but he, he's going to be a very solid ACC level quarterback. And it'll be interesting to see how tech matches up against him. But I want to talk about the passing game a little bit more for UVA with Perkins last year. We all remember the names. It was Joe Reed. It was Dubois. Those were the targets and it was pretty equally distributed. Those guys could stretch the field this year. Armstrong has found his key receiver in Billy Kemp, Kemp, a guy who operates great out of the slot, but can stretch the field. They also have 
a very interesting player in Lavelle Davis Jr., who stands at six foot seven, averaging like 26 yards per reception. He has five touchdowns, obviously, at that size. He is a major red zone threat. What should Virginia Tech fans expect out of this UVA passing game? And how do you think Virginia Tech's secondary matches up against these guys? I think the secondary matches up against Virginia's playmakers fine. Um, what I what I worry about here is Virginia is really good in the play action game. So I, I think what's most important is that Virginia Tech stops to run first and you know, UVA has, has run the ball. Okay. This year, you know, the, as a team, they're averaging, this is non sack adjusted numbers. They're averaging a little over four and a half yards per carry 16 touchdowns on the ground this year, but it's been largely um, the brand Armstrong show, right? I mean, he's a team's leading rusher. He's averaging almost five yards per carry five touchdown runs on the year. Um, but that sets up everything that they do, right? The running game sets up all the play action passing. They do, they don't have, guys that are going to beat you over the top like you mentioned Andrew the leading receiver is Billy Kemp who is a little bit like he's kind of like a scat pack slash slot receiver he's got 571 yards receiving on the year and he's their leading guy Um, he's a small receiver a really explosive slot guy who has been really good for them Um, reminds me a little bit of Jameson Crowder when he was at Duke like that's the kind of receiver that he is a possession guy who can make some things happen after the catch but UVA doesn't necessarily have a, a big time playmaker after the catch and explosive guy. I mean, you mentioned Lavelle Davis, but he only had 17 catches all season. Um, one of them was a 90 yard touchdown catch. So he's not a guy who is consistently just a game breaker. That 90 yarder um, kind of inflates the stats a little bit. Um, but Terrell Jana, I think is, is the most consistent receiver that UVA has from the standpoint of being able to be a game breaker Billy Kemp's a guy kind of in the slot who makes a lot of plays. Tony Poljan, a tight end, is a matchup nightmare for Tech because of his size. We talked about this earlier in the year uh, with Boston College where they had a similar tight end, obviously. And now you know, you're facing UVA with Tony Poljan at tight end. And he is a big-bodied guy who can make plays down the field. And he's hard to bring down after the catch. And he's a guy who I think could be a problem for Virginia Tech in this football game. Um, so UVA, while they don't boast necessarily the star power at receiver, they have a number of guys who they get involved in the offense. And this isn't like a one trick pony offense. Like we've seen a couple times this year where, you know, BC just throws it to one or two guys. NC state throws it to like one or two guys. BC likes to spread out a bunch. Um, there are three guys on their roster who have more than 30 catches on the year. And then you mentioned LaBelle Davis and what he's able, he's been able to do. Um, over the top as well with 440 yards a second on the team. So there's a little bit of everything here in this offense for UVA, but it all starts with that play action game. So I think the most important thing for Virginia Tech to do is stop the run to limit that passing game for UVA. Yeah. And for Davis, 440 yards on just 17 receptions with five touchdowns. I mean, talk about a game breaker. Who's big. You got to control the big play and that's against everyone. But when you have such a strange matchup in this freshman, I mean, I have a feeling with years in the weight room, this Davis kid could end up being kind of a nightmare in years to come. Ricky, I'll I'll ask you this. If you had to pick one individual player, or you can even broaden it out to a position group, who do you need to see more from against this odd Brandon Armstrong centered UVA offense that Virginia Tech wants to have success? 
it'd be the linebackers. Uh, and also, it, really, anyone who's playing on the edge, keeping contained in this game is going to be really, really important. As I talked about earlier, Armstrong is really good at kind of that, that backyard football, making stuff happen when plays break down, when concepts don't work, and he's able to avoid rushers and find guys who are just running into gaps in, in the field. Um, that's, that's something that he excels at. That's something that Virginia excels at. Um, that's something we've seen Virginia Tech struggle with a lot, uh, their ability to stay with guys long-term and to keep containing the pocket. If they can force Brennan Armstrong to beat them from the pocket, I think that they have a pretty good chance to win this game uh, because, quite frankly, I don't think Brennan Armstrong is that great of a passer. Um, but if he's allowed to use his athleticism to extend plays and give his receivers a chance to find gaps in the secondary, then that's going to be an issue. So whether it be someone like Justice Reed, uh, whether it be someone like Taiwan Garbett or Jalen Griffin or Shamari Connor, if he's on the edge, uh, Dax Hollifield, Alan Tisdale, Rayshard Ashby, really all of those edge guys in the box in the front, in the front, uh, excuse me, the front six, uh, front seven, those guys are going to be really, really critical in this game to keeping Virginia from extending those plays that and, and doing the things that they've done so well. Um, I do want to go back to the, the Hooker-Armstrong discussion here. Mike, you mentioned that you think Hooker, or excuse me, that Armstrong's had the better year. Can you expand on that for me? Man, Rick calling me out, huh? Um, I, 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 I mean, I'm not... I, I, I'm not seeing it. So help me, help me see it. I mean, Brett Armstrong has thrown more touchdown passes. Um, he has run the ball at, I mean, look, Hendon hookers run for um, some more yards, right. Than Brett Armstrong. And he's running has. for more yards per carry, right. Running more yards per carry. But I think Brett Armstrong has been more important to UVA's offense. And I think he's been better and more consistent. Hooker's had a few big games. But I think over the course of the season, I think if you're asking me who the more consistent quarterback is, and look, Hendon Hooker, I mean, Brian Armstrong and Hendon Hooker have both missed some games, but I think Brian Armstrong over the course of the year has been the more consistent player for UVA than Hendon Hooker has been for Virginia Tech. He's been called upon more often than Hendon Hooker has, more, most likely because Hendon Hooker has had Khalil Herbert in the backfield, which... Look, that's that's been a big deal as well, right, as far as the rushing numbers have been concerned. And running is such a big part of Virginia Tech's offense, obviously. And Brian Armstrong just naturally carries a bigger load uh, than Hennon Hooker does just because, look, Brian Armstrong does not have the talent in the backfield that Virginia Tech has. But if you're looking at over the full course of the season and you look at where they are in the stages of their career, Brian Armstrong is a sophomore, I think is every bit as good as Hennon Hooker is as a redshirt junior. I'd take Brian Armstrong. Okay. Um, I will say that Hooker's had five games this year where he hasn't thrown a pick, and Armstrong's had two games that he hasn't thrown a pick in. Hooker's been the more efficient passer in terms of efficiency. Um, there is a valid point that Hooker has maybe more talent around him, given guys like Khalil Herbert, obviously, who Pro Football Focus named the most valuable running back in America, which blew my mind. Um, I didn't, I didn't expect that to happen. Trey Turner is a pretty explosive guy. James Mitchell is one of the better pass catching tight ends in the conference. Best um, prospect from a draft perspective that tech has, I think. James Mitchell. Yeah. I mean, they've got Christian Garrison, who's 
might oh, be a well, okay, okay, thing. Derisaw, fair. I mean, from a skill <laughs> position standpoint, Derisaw, 100%. But from a okay. skill position standpoint, it's probably okay. James Mitchell. And yeah. then and then you include Tavion Robinson, who's been pretty, pretty reliable when used. So I, I think that that's fair. But I think there's a bit of recency bias that's happening in terms of Hooker, who hasn't played all that well of late. He didn't have that. He, he was very mediocre against Pittsburgh, two touchdowns, one pick, 13 of 22. Um, not, not really impactful at all against Miami. Had a great game against Liberty. Uh, Louisville, small sample size, but very efficient. And then you go into earlier in the year, obviously Wake Forest was a, a dumpster fire. But um, I, I don't think there's really that big of a gap between these two guys. I think that they've been relatively similar. Now, not. if we're talking about long-term potential, I think Armstrong might have him. Yep. Because Armstrong has shown the ability to carry more of a load, and that's something you mentioned. But in, if we're just rating off of this year's performance, I don't, I, I don't see a gap between those two guys and, if we're talking about what would be best for the Hokies, I think Hendon Hooker is still the best guy. Yeah. So who would be best for the Hokies? I think it's Hendon Hooker. Um, I think I, I agree with you from your point of like, who's a better quarterback for each system. I think they're both in the perfect systems for them. Now, but if, but if you were starting from scratch in your own scheme, you would still pick Brennan Armstrong. I would pick Brennan Armstrong. Yeah. And, okay. and my thing, my thing is the long-term, I, I take this from the standpoint of like the long-term growth part and where they each are at the stage of their career, right? Like redshirt sophomore Brennan Armstrong is probably further along right now than redshirt junior Hendon Hooker is, right? I mean, we're talking about them being dead even with one year of experience difference between the two quarterbacks. That's where I take it from. As far as like this individual season, Hooker's been overall the better passer than, I mean, he's, he's just a better passer in general than Brian Armstrong is. He's a more efficient runner, but I think more of that has to do with the fact that Armstrong has nobody in the backfield, right? Like Wayne Tulapapa last year, he averaged less than, he averaged less than four yards per carry. Like the offensive line had a, a lot to do with that, but Bryce Perkins really was the only guy who was holding that entire rushing yeah, offense together for UVA. Definitely. So I think from an efficiency standpoint, a big reason why Hooker's efficiency is better is because of Khalil Herbert. Not a knock necessarily on Hooker. I think Brandon Armstrong just has to garner a larger load because of the offense that he's in. He just doesn't have the running back skill talent behind him or around him, quite frankly, that Hendon Hooker has in Blacksburg. Again, not a knock on Hooker. I just think Armstrong has had to shoulder a bigger load. So if you're looking at it from a um, from like an experience standpoint and like a pedigree standpoint, it all depends on what you want your quarterback. I think both quarterbacks individually and in the systems they're in are perfect. I think if you have Brent Armstrong and Blacksburg, it's not necessarily the same type of, you might not get the same type of result, right? Because I think Virginia is less dependent on their passing offense than Virginia Tech is in some games or has to be because Khalil Herbert is such an efficient runner that look, they shut that down. Like, Tech's got skill talent at receiver that Brandon Armstrong would be able to throw to that he doesn't necessarily have at UVA. So that's like a conversation we can have if you're taking them and putting them into two offenses. But I think from a standpoint of like where each individual is in their career, like I would rather have Armstrong where he's at as a redshirt sophomore with room still to grow than where Hendon Hooker is as a redshirt junior with a year plus left, depending on how the eligibility stuff works out this year. I will say that Hooker, unfortunately, because of COVID, 
the one area where he needed to develop, and we've talked about this a few times on this podcast, is as a pocket passer. And I don't think he's had the benefit this year, obviously, with no spring practice. And he was, you know, he obviously dealt with COVID during fall camp. He hasn't had the benefit of having that extra practice time, you know, to, to really just gain, like, yeah. be able to gain some valuable time and valuable – yeah, just get those reps in the offense that are Brad Cornelson. Like, he hasn't had that. And I think that's really where he could have taken a step forward this year, and I think that's really hurt him through no fault of his own. And he's a gamer, and I love Hendon Hooker. He's the best quarterback at Virginia Tech. Um, and, look, as far as Virginia Tech's offense is concerned, I wouldn't take anybody above him, and I'm a Hooker guy and have been since day one. Um, but I think if you look at the, t- the two quarterbacks side-by-side right now, where Armstrong's at, where Hooker's at, Armstrong is a year behind him. He's running dead even with him, in my opinion, with how both quarterbacks are used. I mean, Ricky, just this year and understanding what Mike's saying, that the UVA offense is so much more dependent on Brennan Armstrong than Virginia Tech's offense is on Hendon Hooker. That being said, Virginia Tech hasn't won a game that Hendon Hooker put the ball up in the air more than 15 times. And I'm not saying that I'm shouldering the loss on him in all those other games, but when tech has fallen behind and they've had to rely on hooker to put the ball in the air, you saw it against wake forest, three interceptions kind of cost them the game. You saw it against Miami when they needed to move the ball and score and convert those third downs at the end of the game. Hendon hooker was unable to do that. Now, part of that also falls on Brad Cornelson being absolutely awful at at managing a football game. I agree with that. Yeah, no, for sure. But at the end of the day, Brennan Armstrong, since coming back from his concussion, has been, I mean, what is it? It's like 11 touchdowns to three interceptions, and he's- Four of which came against Abilene Christian. I I understand Okay, I understand (laughs) that. I understand that. But still, Brennan Armstrong has been able to shoulder the weight of the UVA offense and do it both through the air and on the ground. And, you know, take out that Abilene Christian game. You beat Carolina, you beat Louisville, you beat Boston College. I mean, it's not the most stout competition, but they've been able to score a lot of points and stay in games. And Brennan Armstrong's the centerpiece. And it just seemed like when Khalil Herbert is a non-factor and they can't get the running game. And I know this has to do with the offense, but either Virginia tech, I mean, Hendon hooker hasn't been incredibly consistent putting the ball in the air. And part of that is on, you know, the scheme and they haven't even trusted him, but it just seems that Armstrong has been able to do things at least in the second half of the season here more consistently and in a more well-rounded way than hooker has. And that's fair. Um, I do think Armstrong has been pretty impactful over the, during this win streak, but that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about the recency bias. I think we're forgetting a bit of what Hennon Hooker looked like early on in the season, how efficient he was, how productive he was in those limited opportunities that he was getting. I'm guilty of that, by the way, for sure. I think it's a fair point. Well, it's recency bias, but I feel like it's also the burden of expectations, and that's what goes to what Mike was saying. I mean – there were obviously, you know, UVA fans online saying that Armstrong was going to be the next Steve Young, but realistically, oh, most, pund- yeah, most pundits and people that thanks Dabo the- appreciate it. Yeah, <laughs> most people that follow the conference had very level expectations for this guy 
following up Bryce Perkins, one of the better quarterbacks in UVA history who had just led the school to heights that they hadn't seen in over a decade. And Armstrong wasn't going to be able to do that. On the other side, Hendon Hooker came in last year and, and played the role of the savior at the quarterback position for Virginia Tech. And people thought, wow, year two of Hooker in this offense, we're going to be able to like take off and, and move to new heights. But it seems like Hooker has either stalled out or regressed and Armstrong as the season has gone on after that concussion has evolved into a far, I mean, if, if we had this conversation on, you know, October the 10th and you told me that it, it, we asked the same question, we'd all be laughing. We'd say, of course, Hendon Hooker, but Armstrong has been able to look more comfortable in that offense and, you know, be that field general for UVA and Hooker for better or worse has stalled out and in, in some of the key moments hasn't been what Virginia Tech wanted it to be. I don't think Hendon Hooker is a bad quarterback. I think there's a lot of factors that play into this. The COVID, like Mike said, this was going to be a pivotal offseason for him and he did not get that. And in Virginia Tech's offense, I would say that, yeah, I'd still probably rather have Hendon Hooker. But that being said, I mean, if you say who's had the better season, it's a toss up. And especially if you consider the expectations, it's got to be Armstrong. Yeah, I think that that's fair. Hooker was supposed to develop into one of the better quarterbacks in the country after what we saw last year, how efficient he was, um, how well he ran that offense. He has not lived up to the expectation level that was set for him this year, whereas I, most, like you said, most reasonable people expected Brennan Armstrong to be decent, not all that great, nowhere near as impactful as, as Bryce Perkins. And I think he's kind of lived up to that level of expectation. Uh, obviously, lower expectations than Hendon Hooker, but he's definitely lived up to those. Yeah, and to your point, I mean, recency bias. I'm thinking about the picks at Wake. I'm thinking about that fourth quarter stall out in Miami. I, I'm thinking about Pittsburgh, where Virginia Tech wasn't able to get anything going offensively. And uh, I, maybe I'm being overly critical. But let's move on to the other side of the ball because we've been talking about this for a long time. Uh, <laughs> like this is on the other side of the ball because we've been talking about quarterbacks. But let's talk about Khalil Herbert because Khalil Herbert, Justin Fuente's first 1,000-yard rusher in the tenure, probably playing his last game as a Hokie, almost certainly playing his last game as a Hokie. This is the strength of Virginia Tech's offense. We know that. It's the final game of the season. We're not surprising anyone by saying that. That being said, UVA, the strength of their defense is that linebacker position. I think that was a group that people expected coming into the season would shine for UVA. And, and against the run, they've been very good. Fourth in the ACC in rush yards allowed per game. Mike, I'll ask you, how confident are you that Khalil Herbert and Virginia Tech are going to be able to get this running game going against a UVA defense that has effectively stopped it so far? So I think Virginia Tech will have more success running the football than they did a week ago against Boston College. Now, I'm sorry, against Clemson. Virginia played Boston College, which I'm getting into here. So BC had negative seven yards rushing against Virginia last week, right? So I look at that and I'm like, oh my God. Now those are non-sack adjusted numbers. Dennis Grozel had had five carries for negative 27 yards. He was sacked four times. So that tells you about all you need to know there. Sacks played a big role in that, but Boston College's best rusher a week ago was Travis Levy. He had 11 carries for 31 yards, averaging less than three yards per carry in that game against UVA. So do I think UVA has as good of a rushing defense as Clemson? No. Do I think they're capable of stopping the run? Yes, I do. With that being said, I do think Virginia Tech will be able to run the ball some in this game, but I wouldn't expect the Hokies to have a whole heck of a lot of success, 
even with Khalil Herbert in the backfield at 100%. I mean, we saw him play well a week ago. I think we'd argue that Khalil Herbert, you know, despite, you know, what he was going up against against Clemson, did run the ball well, was very patient, you know, did make, you know, those negative plays turn into positive plays and that sort of thing. Things you would expect out of Khalil Herbert as a running back this year with how well he's played. Uh, but this is going to be another tough task. Virginia has a very good rushing defense. Their secondary has been a bit more questionable um, than, than the run defense has. So Virginia Tech's best path to victory in this game is likely going to be throwing the football. The problem with that is they haven't done that very efficiently here in the second half of the season. So that's going to be, be the big question mark in this game. Can Virginia Tech run the ball enough to set up that passing game um, and to give Hendon Hooker a chance to make some plays down the field with these receivers. Because if UVA stops the run like they did a week ago against Boston College, I don't think Virginia Tech wins this football game. Yeah, I mean, but to your point with the secondary, I mean, I did say that we were the official Virginia Tech podcast of Dennis Grossell last week. And Dennis Grossell, not the reason Boston College lost to UVA. Dude had like 500 yards passing or something crazy like that. He went off. Shout out to uh, Dennis Grissell. Went to the same high school as Jimmy Cleveland. But, I mean, there's a lot of questions. How do you get Mitchell involved? Will Trey Turner be back? Ricky, I mean, final game of the season. We haven't seen much from the passing game. Do you have faith that that can change? Not really. <laughs> um, it's... I don't know how much longer Brad Cornelson's going to be coaching for Virginia Tech. Um, my, I, I would. I'll help I you. Can bet, I help you? One week. Go ahead. Go ahead. One week. One week. Okay. If I were a betting man, I would probably bet on like a money line that he would be gone. Um, because if that's a whole other podcast. But anyway, it's likely um, our next podcast. Yeah, po quite possibly. Virginia Tech needs to find ways to take shots downfield. We talked about this after the Clemson game. We were, we were pretty happy with the way that Virginia Tech started out on offense. Part of that was because they committed to running the football, but they also committed to taking some shots downfield and they were trying to move the ball with play action. They weren't running um, all these tunnel screens and jet sweeps and things like that. They were actually throwing the ball downfield, trying to advance the ball in that fashion. Virginia Tech needs to do the same thing in this game. Uh, Virginia's secondary is kind of meh. They're all right. Overall, as a defense, UVA's metrics are pretty good. They're top 40 in terms of defensive efficiency, according to Football Outsiders. Um, Charles Snowden not being there makes a huge difference. Obviously, we know what he can do on the defensive side of the football. But like Mike said, if they're not able to run the football, this game's going to get ugly. Um, because Virginia Tech's going to be kind of in the same situation that they've been in where the offense is stagnating and they're, they're hitting their head on the roof or the, excuse me, the ceiling around 20 to 24 points. Um, 20 to 24 points is probably not going to win this game. Uh, Tech's going to need to probably score 30, 30 or more um, to give themselves a realistic chance to win. So Khalil Herbert's got to have a big game. Uh, James Mitchell, I know he's been banged up since the Louisville game. They need him to, to give it everything he's got. Christian Darasaw, he's been banged up. Uh, Trey Turner, they need him out there on the field. I'm expecting that he'll be out there. Virginia Tech's going to need all hands on deck for this one. Um, this is obviously a huge game. 
not just for the coaching staff, but for the fan bases overall. They, they can move the ball on this Virginia defense. This Virginia defense has been vulnerable at multiple times throughout the season. Um, they gave up 38 points to NC State, 41 to Clemson, 41 to Carolina, uh, 32 to a Boston College team that did not have Phil Dracovic. So Virginia is vulnerable defensively, but my confidence in Brad Cornelson being able to engineer an offense that can take advantage of that is suboptimal. Yeah, and a big question for me is, what has been the status of the quarterbacks throughout the week? We talked about what happened with Hendon Hooker. I mean, where was he uh, on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday? At what, yeah. To what degree of confidence does this coaching staff have in him to be able to play this game? I mean, we don't know the details of the incident. We do know it's, it's going to be cold. It's going to be cold on Saturday in Blacksburg. Same situation. You're playing games in December in the mountains in Southwest Virginia. So I, I think that preparation is, is going to play a big part of that as well. But, you know, Rick, Ricky, you mentioned all the guys that have been banged up and have been out. And it really does make you wonder if it wasn't for the injuries that were sustained at various points in the season because of the fact that prior to Pittsburgh, those margins, those losing margins were so slim. We could be telling a completely different story, but you know what they say, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. Yes, that's exactly what they say. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, text text dealt with their fair share of injuries. Um, I am thankful that they're not complaining about it, unlike some other coaches in the conference that play another sport. Um, but no, I mean, tech football, it's it it's been a bad year, right? Like Caleb Farley opting out right off the get-go, immediately hurt this team's chances. Um Hendon Hooker hasn't developed. Khalil Herbert was the best thing that's happened to this program in a couple of years. He, go, he goes out with a hamstring in the middle of the season. Trey Turner's been nursing a leg injury all year long. James Mitchell's been hurt since the Louisville game. He's still playing. Jermaine Waller's been out for most of the season. I mean, well, we can do this all day. I mean, Virginia Tech was missing 22 players to start the year because of COVID. Like, it's been – it's almost been Murphy's Law, and – uh, we'll we'll have to see if Murphy's Law is in full effect on Saturday night. All right, to kind of bring it all together here. Season's been what the season's been. A massive disappointment. The toxicity in the fan base, the lack of faith in the coaching staff is obvious. Does this game matter for the future of Justin Fuente? So you could say no. You could say that it'll get canned either way but I'll ask you the question in a two-pronged way. When we record on Monday, will Justin Fuente still be employed at Virginia Tech? And you can, if it's a win-lose, changes it, let me know. But is this the last preview pod we will make of Justin Fuente as head coach? Yes. Um, I'm going to say no, but only on the technicality because Monday would be the 14th. And... <laughs> And the buyout drops at the 15th. Um, God damn it. <laughs> in all in all seriousness, I'm I'm seriously 50-50 on whether he's whether he's gonna go. Um I, I I've heard and read at multiple areas or multiple places that money is not an issue and that tech has been able to secure the funds. 
to go ahead and start this thing off from scratch. But given the fact that Virginia Tech did just have to lay off people and cut people's salaries, and given the fact that everything's gone on, if Justin Fuente is able to pull out a win against Virginia, there is a way that he could keep his job. And I wrote about this on my website, rickandblue.com. Um, there, there are there are reasons or excuses. It depends on your perspective. If you're a detractor of Justin Fuente, you'll say that it's an excuse that COVID happened and that he missed all these players and didn't have practice time during the season and guys opted out, guys have been injured, um, so on and so forth. But if you're someone who believes Fuente can still get this thing turned around, then you can say, well, he didn't have the entire offseason, basically. He hasn't been able to develop his quarterback. All of his freshmen have received very little preparation for the season. Um, guys who are in the middle of their careers haven't been able to develop. He has had to deal with injuries. His best player did opt out before the season. Um, so it, it really just kind of depends on your perspective as to if those are excuses or reasons. But when he goes in to have his discussion with Whit Babcock at the end of the year, uh, which I would presume would be prior to December 15th, um, Fuente is going to have some things fighting in his favor. And if he's able to have a win versus Virginia in his right hand or in his back pocket going into that meeting, the meeting could go a bit better for him because at least it shows that the team didn't quit. They were able to beat UVA last year might've been a fluke. He, he can, he can try and, and make that pitch. Now, whether or not Whip Babcock buys it, I'm not sure. Um, but I'm really 50, 50 as to whether or not Fuente is going to go. I'm not, I'm honestly not sure how this is leaning. Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, what a bad year to have as your as your litmus test for a coach because and also too the 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 coaching pool of candidates and this will be something we'll discuss heavily in detail if justin fuente happens to be fired the coaching pool is not all that great this year um all of the guys that are being bandied about by national media members for head coaching gigs they don't have stellar resumes. The ones that do have decent resumes have no connection to the Mid-Atlantic, no connection to the Commonwealth of Virginia, no connection to Virginia Tech. So you put all that together and it's kind of like, well, if Whit Babcock does fire Justin Fuente, who the hell is he going to go get that is a markedly better option? And that's a fair question. Yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly alternative ways to look at that. I mean, just given the, I mean, basically the damage is done theory that the yeah. way the recruiting's going and the way that the energy around this program has turned so toxically negative that it might be impossible for Justin Fuente to turn the ship around at this point because yeah. Yeah. His better recruits are behind him, which means to develop the guys that he, and it just seems like it clearly get worse before it gets better. And then how many bad years before you ruin the, not, I wouldn't say ruin, but further devalue the prestige of Virginia Tech as a destination for head coaches. And then whatever head coach does take over, how hard will it be for them to bring that back is kind of what I think. But we'll have plenty of time to talk about the coaching situation in the future. I guess we're recording on Monday, so we really won't know until Tuesday whether this is over or not. That being said, 
final thoughts on the game. Like Ricky and I mentioned on our podcast on Monday that Mike decided to skip. (laughs) The checklist of goals for this Virginia Tech season is basically almost all in the garbage can, crumpled up into a ball, maybe lit on fire. This It's no secret. This season has been a massive failure in terms of reaching expectations that we thought Justin Fuente could with this team that was returning a lot of starters that were all his recruits that showed promise at the end of last season. And I, I get how that can cause fans to be apathetic, but my request for you as fans is to on Saturday night, just pretend like nothing happened before focus on the cup, do it for your pride, the state pride, the school pride, the pride that you have in the good old days with that 15-year streak in the Commonwealth Cup where you can look at the guy in your office who has a UVA flag and say, you guys suck at football. Get that back. <laughs> Do it for the seniors, the dudes like Divine Diablo and for Darisaw and for other guys who will in all likelihood be playing their final game at Virginia Tech. This matters to them. And just do it. Do enjoy it. We're not going to see Virginia Tech football for a long time. So throw everything else away. We've seen years past in Beamer's final year where the bowl streak was about to go down the drain, Virginia Tech with the late game interception managed to win. You saw it in 2018 in the overtime fumble recovery that saved the bowl streak or effectively saved the bowl streak. They had to schedule Marshall later, but that's a different story. These games, though Virginia Tech has won most of them, have tended to be pretty entertaining close games. And I, I think that enjoying the final game of the season and ending on a good note might be the the sweet taste that we all need in our mouth going into what looks to be another very turbulent off season surrounding the Virginia tech program. You guys got any final thoughts before we do our ACC picks? I echo just about everything you said. Um, If you're a tech fan, this season's been pretty awful. So do your best to enjoy this game. Do your best to any kind of emotional um, juice that you have left to to expend in football this is a time to put it in there boys like virginia tech having a two-year losing streak to virginia like if you thought in-state recruiting was going to be tough as it is and all of the challenges that virginia tech is facing in that regard a second straight loss over uba is not going to make things any easier so even if you're rooting for justin fuente to be let go at the end of the year which i'm sure many of you who are listening are it would still behoove you to root for a win over Virginia, given everything that that entails. So enjoy the game. Um, I know I'll be glued to the television, obviously. Um, it should be a good one. It's a shame that there won't be any fans in, in the stands for this game. Anytime there's no fans in the stands for Virginia, Virginia Tech, it's a shame. Um, but it, it should be a good game, and I am eagerly awaiting it to arrive. Just like it was a shame that at every uh... – game for the commonwealth cup that was held at scott stadium for the last 20 years there was no <laughs> oh, it truly is hate week isn't it <laughs> mike you got anything it's a really important game for pride but outside mm-hmm. of that i don't think it really matters for the co- impending coaching decision i think that decision was made a couple of weeks ago when virginia tech rolled over against pittsburgh 
Um, I don't think this, and maybe I end up being wrong here, but I don't think the UVA game one way or another really sways things for Justin Fuente. I'm really curious though. I'm, I'm with Ricky. I think it's 50, 50 because of the buyout and everything else, but I'm much more in the camp of, I think it's more likely that he's let go than not at this point. Um, but there are a lot of elements at play from the layoffs in the athletic department and the fact that the buyout is still large at 10 million um, starting on December 16th. So we'll see what happens, but it's a really important game to restore fan base pride in the program um, and for Virginia Tech seniors to go out the right way. But outside of that, I'm really interested to see what happens after this game and whether or not um, this game has any sort of impact on uh, the impending decision from Whit Babcock, but that'll be a conversation for next week's podcast. Hey, we might not even know next Monday when we hit record, like what the ultimate outcome is. I'm sure there'll be smoke and mirrors and all that stuff. And, you know, there's going to be a lot out there from a rumor standpoint, but we might not even know only because of when the buyout drops and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting here over the next week and a half. Yeah. And I, I agree with that, Mike, to the fans that, and I don't think there's many of you, but there's definitely some because the internet exposes all kinds of different people who are rooting for Virginia Tech to lose this game in the spirit of burning it all down and making Fuente look as bad as possible. I agree with these two gentlemen. I don't think that a win over UVA or a loss to UVA really moves the needle one way or the other. The decision is going to happen predictably based on finances and optics and other circumstances surrounding COVID. So don't be a bad hokey fan. Just enjoy the game. Treat it as if we were good and just trying to get the Commonwealth Cup back. All right, gentlemen, ACC picks time. You ready? As ready as we can be for a week I where mean, a bunch of these games don't even matter. But I'm never, I'm never really ready for these picks because I suck anyway, and I'm so I'm just gonna keep <laughs> winging it and hope that something changes. Hey, well, on that note, last week, Mike McDaniel taking a three and three week that moves him to 28 and 31 on the year. Andrew Alex with his bold Syracuse covering against Notre Dame pick moves to four or it was four and two on the week moves to 37 and 28 on the year and stay hot. Ricky LeBlue. Ricky goes five and one on the week. And as such is now tied with Mike McDaniel in the overall. Hell yeah. He's also <laughs> 31. Welcome and to misery, Mike. Welcome to hell, baby. <laughs> it's to we're together, hell. baby. Yeah, misery loves company, right? <laughs> we're in it together. <laughs> I never want to hear the term we're in this together ever again after this. <laughs> uh, I couldn't agree with you more, man. <laughs> these uncertain times, these troubling times, <laughs> we're all in this together. No, shut up. Go away. I don't want to hear it ever again. Indeed. Indeed. All right, let's get started here. Thursday night, so the night that this podcast will come out, Georgia Tech hosts Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, a seven-point favorite in the contest. Uh, Georgia Tech plus the points. I think Pittsburgh could certainly win this game. Seven's a lot. Pitt hasn't been that good. Uh, neither is Georgia Tech, but they're at home. Uh, seven seems like a lot. There's just nothing in this game that really screams Pittsburgh is like the much better team. Now their their running defense is certainly the best element of this, but I think Georgia tech can throw the ball enough to make this competitive and Georgia tech's defense hasn't been that bad either. 
um, against the Pittsburgh offense has been really up and down this year. So seven just seems like a lot of points to me. I'm taking Georgia Tech plus points. Rick? Pittsburgh hasn't been all that great, but you know who's been way worse than Pittsburgh so far this year? Georgia Tech. Give me the Panthers. Yep, I'm going with the Panthers too. I mean, this Pittsburgh team is literally two points away when you look at those NC, that NC State and Boston College games. They lost by one in both of those. This could easily be a six and four team, a seven and three team. And we saw their offense run a rough shot on the Hokies. I don't have any faith in Georgia Tech. I think Pittsburgh will cover this one. All right. Next game on the docket. A nooner at Cardinal Stadium in Louisville, Kentucky. Wake Forest travels to Louisville. Louisville, a one and a half point favorite in this game. Wake Forest. Scott Satterfield doesn't even really want to be the coach at Louisville anymore. So give me Wake. Plus 2-2 Atwell just opted out. So now Cunningham doesn't have his best running back or his best receiver. So give me Wake Forest. Did you just say Louisville's favorite in this game? Yeah, it's shocking, right? What kind of bull? What kind of bullshit is that? <laughs> <laughs> we just spent the entire week talking about how Satterfield hates Louisville, and and Vegas thinks that Louisville's actually going to come out and and try in this game. No chance. Uh, there's no way Louisville Louisville will cover that spread. Give me Wake plus whatever the point spread is. I don't care. Uh, the only explanation I can come up with for the spread is that uh, Kenneth Walker, the running back for Wake Forest opted out uh, just yesterday. So maybe that's what Vegas is thinking. Plus the home field advantage for Louisville. I did not realize that Atwell opted out. I was going to pick Wake Forest anyway, but I'll do it again here. Wake Forest in this one. All right. Most compelling game of the week, at least on a national level, 3:30 ABC. So Natty television, the number 17 Tar Heels travel to hard rock stadium home of the Miami Dolphins, to take on the Miami Hurricanes. The Hurricanes, a three-point favorite. Uh, I like Miami here. North Carolina's offense, I think, is the best part of this matchup for sure. But I think Miami gets enough stops defensively in this game. And when I look at North Carolina's defense, there are a lot of things that trouble me about this uh, unit in general. And you look at, you know, they gave up 53 points to Wake Forest not too long ago. They've lost games to UVA. They look lackadaisical in a loss to Florida State. Like, North Carolina's got some head-scratching losses this year. I think they certainly have the firepower to beat Miami in this game. Like, I think offensively, they're really, really good. But I think in a lower-scoring game, Miami wins, and I think that's what this is going to be. I, I don't think this game goes over the 67-and-a-half. If it does, it certainly favors North Carolina, but I'm going to take Miami because I think they win this football game. Ricky. Hurricanes are the better football team. Uh, it's only a three-point spread. I'll take the Canes. I'm going to go with North Carolina. I mean, Miami loses Al Blades. They're starting safety because he actually got the myocarditis. Uh, so, yeah, he's out for the year. I just think that with Sam Howell and the firepower they have on the outside, they'll be able to outgun Miami in this one. I mean, Miami wins games – in, I guess, a low, I mean, North Carolina's defense is awful. I have no confidence in this one, but I'm going to go with uh, UNC. This uh, is, hey, real quick, though, this could be an Orange Bowl playing game. Seriously. Like, yeah. Notre Dame, yeah. if Notre Dame were to lose close, which is what Vegas suggests, so we'll just go off of that, right? Vegas has Clemson, you know, two weeks out as a seven-and-a-half-point favorite against Notre Dame in the ACC championship. If Notre Dame only loses that game by, like, a touchdown or even, like, 10 or 11 points – 
like Notre Dame's probably still going to make the playoff. And if that's the case, the ACC uh, tie-in for the Orange Bowl is the highest ranked non-playoff team, which is going to be either North Carolina or Miami. Both teams have a lot to play for in this game if that kind of plays out that way. Now, if Notre Dame beats Clemson, Clemson is obviously going to be in the Orange Bowl and out of the playoff. But if it plays out like Vegas thinks it does, then this could be a playing game for the Orange Bowl. So both teams here you know, even though they aren't necessarily playing for a playoff berth or an ACC championship, even they still have a lot to play for a big time bowl game to stake here potentially. Indeed. Indeed. Trust me. This is definitely a position that Virginia tech fans would like to be in. I think that saying the game doesn't really matter that much, which is generally the narrative at this point, given that the ACC championship is set. It's like, Oh, that's kind of overlooking at least the pride factor here. Uh, next one on the docket is, Oh God, what a disaster of a game. Duke travels to Florida State, both teams with two wins apiece. Florida State, a five-point favorite at home. Oh, gross. Uh, Florida State, I guess. Are we sure this game has to get played? Like, <laughs> hey, tickets is low. $12. Cancel this. Yeah, like, if there was going to be any game on the ACC schedule all year long that you were going to cancel, it'd be this one, right? Um. Man, Duke's probably the better coach team, so I'll take the Blue Devils um, with the points, uh, even though five's not that much. Both these teams are so bad, but I'm going to go with Florida State. All right, moment we've all been waiting for. The Commonwealth Cup returns to Lane Stadium. Will it go back to Charlottesville afterwards? Virginia Tech, a a two-and-a-half-point favorite at home as they try to reclaim it. Uh, I got Virginia. They've just been more consistent. I Virginia Tech at this point, I'll believe it when I see it. Andrew, you've been kind of first on that train with hope for the best, expect the worst. I have joined you in that brigade. This is just one of those games where it's a rivalry game. It's at home. Anything can happen, certainly. And Virginia Tech is more than capable of winning this football game. But I think Virginia is going to stop the run enough with Khalil Herbert to make Hendon Hooker or Burmeister or whoever's back there throw the football um and and i just think that virginia has been more the more consistent team over the past two months and because of that i'm going to take the who's even though it's really just a two and a half point spread it's basically a pick them on a neutral field but at home uh i I just don't see the Hokies playing well enough here i'm going to take uva reluctantly ricky for the last three years i have been in my opinion, unfairly referred to as a pessimist. And I have been referred to as overly critical of the program, unfair to Justin Fuente, unfair to players, yada, yada, yada. So you know what? Screw it. We're going with tech. This is Justin Fuente's Alamo. This is his last stand. There it is. I don't don't think Virginia is really all that good anyway. Um, Virginia Tech can't suck again, can they? Yes, they can. But look, <laughs> they definitely can. Yes, but hopefully not. <laughs> yes, they can. But look, screw it. Like, I, if I'm going to beat you guys, Mike, if I'm going to get ahead of you in these picks, I need to I need to make a stand and go out on the limb and pick your alma mater. And I got <laughs> and I got to pick Virginia Tech now. Chris Falica, the Bear over at ESPN, would absolutely shoot me for this because Virginia Tech has been absolutely awful in these tight spreads against FBS teams. If there's something like two and eight or in their last 10 or whatever crap like that. Anyway, Virginia Tech hadn't been very good against the spread, but you know what? 
screw it. We're going with the Hokies. Tech is able to get this dub. Um, yeah, why, why the hell not? Close, right? Oh, yeah. Th- th- this game is going to be a nail-biter through and through. There's probably going to be a point in the game when you're going to want to cut your eyes out and, 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 and throw them in the trash can, and, or you're going to want to step on a rake intentionally so you don't have to watch this game. Because, again, I don't think either of these teams are particularly all that good. But somebody has to win this game, believe it or not. And why the hell not? I'm going to go with Virginia Tech. Gosh, this is a tough one. I think I'm going to stick with hope for the best, expect the worst. I mean, what have I been watching for the last month? Lame. What have I been watching? <laughs> Lame. Virginia Tech blow it. And, uh, you know, it, it's, I think things need to bottom out before they can regrow again. We must burn the forest before we can plant flowers. And uh, I figure that's what's going to happen. And I'm probably going to bet on it so I can be happy if we lose. Ricky, Ricky going full send and just being like, you know what? Screw it. Tech. All in, baby. All in. Mike, find me a bookie. I'm all in. Let's do it. I got, I got you, man. <laughs> you you Venmo me Saturday. I'll get that bet in for you. If this is the final <laughs> Ricky LeBlue statement of the Justin Fuente era, then God, maybe they will win. Maybe they will win. Who knows? <laughs> all you people who thought I, I hated the program and I hate Virginia Tech and I hate Justin Fuente, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm picking Virginia Tech to win this football game. Oh, I can't wait to cut this sound out. <laughs> You're not cutting any of this out. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, just like cutting it up for next week. Oh, if, yeah. if Virginia Tech loses this game, screw it. I'm taking the Hokies. Okay, listen. If what does he, he have to lose? What does he have to lose? If Virginia Tech wins this game, I need this cut up so I can put it on Twitter immediately because I'm very confident I'll be the only person who observes this program and has, has a platform that picks Virginia tech to win this football game. I'm very confident in that. I'll have it queued up for you. Hell yes. That's what I want to hear. And on that note, gentlemen, I think we can call it a wrap. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to the hooky hangover podcast. I am Andrew Alex for Mike McDaniel. Big review, subscribe. Yep. There you go. Mike, any last <laughs> words? Ricky stolen from you. Just, you know, let's just pray to beat UVA. I mean. Screw it. All in. <laughs> all in. All in. All Remember all, all those memes with the Fuente train? Screw it. We're all, we're all aboard, baby. <laughs> yep. Like, <laughs> Ricky's like losing his sanity right now, I think. <laughs> like. Dude, why the hell not, man? Come on. Like, this season's been so hard to cover. We were, I remember specifically sitting here on this podcast. Andrew and I were talking about how if things kept going the way they were going, Justin Fuente was an ACC coach of the year candidate. Like, national, they were saying national. That was something that we actually talked about on this podcast. National coach of the year candidate. (laughs) And we've gone from that to, he's out the door like screw it why the hell not in a span of like five weeks by the way yes (laughs) yes absolutely what a troubling year (laughs) just all around i mean this had to happen this had to happen it had to happen this way but yeah 
Thank you all for listening. We've really enjoyed previewing all the games this season. Who knows? Maybe Virginia Tech will win and they'll be five and six in the bowl. We'll have something else to talk about it. I mean, the Hokie fans are pretty dedicated and the bowl games, all they really have to focus on right now is picking the team that will get the most television viewers. So can't wait possible. to see you all at the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Yeah. We might not Did be they done. cancel that one. Did they? I thought I they canceled the Sun Bowl. Yeah, uh, that is one of the ones that they have already canceled. Okay. Well, yeah, you won't see them in El Paso. Research. Hey, man, it's off the cuff. <laughs> what do you want from me? <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the Bad Boy Mowers Bowl. It'll be the highlight of the year. Gasparilla Bowl, baby. There we go. There we go. All right, but that's going to be it for us. We'll be back Monday. Enjoy the game, my friends. Hopefully, we can get some bragging rights over UVA. All in. All in. All in. As always, maybe now more than ever. Go. <laughs>